<laughs> making the world a better place, <laughs> one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. <laughs> All right. time I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. One hundred years later, the, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity, 
100 years later. The, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize the shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content 
will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream.
I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. One day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope.
This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims cried. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the crevaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. 
from now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Yeah. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. All right, everybody, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Black Talk Radio. As you know, that this is April 4th, and it uh, uh, marks um, 50 years ago that Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis. And um, the celebrations and remembering uh, King going on all over the country, his life and legacy. Uh, the nation pays tribute. Uh, Memphis, and, um, you know, uh, it's just a good thing, you know, and there are so many speeches going on at St. Sabina's Church. Uh, this is April 4th, uh, April 4th, 1968 was uh, when he was shot uh, in Memphis, uh, standing on the balcony of the Lorraine uh, Hotel. He, I, he was in, uh, I, he was protesting, he was marching or something like that. And people are uh, praying and they're singing in Memphis. He was shot from what, what the reports are telling me. He was shot uh, uh, at 6.01 p.m. Um, uh, in Memphis in 1968 on the, uh, on the balcony. Uh, you know, uh, with all these protests and, and honoring his life and legacies, none of these uh, programs are mentioning the, the guy who shot him, James Earl Ray. Um, you, you, you hardly ever meant, you hardly ever hear his name, but he was a significant part in this because he, he's the one who took Martin Luther King's life. And um, I don't want to give away my age here, but I, 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 um, 50 years ago, I was a budding man, a teenager, a, a child, or whatever. <laughs> and I remember, I, I remember. Um, the day he was shot, I, I was here in Chicago. I remember it vividly. Um, um, I remember where I was uh, when he was assassinated. Do you? Uh, I, like I said, I was very, 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 very young, as if I'm not that old now. But anyway, you know, 1968, 50 years ago. So you have to say, wow. Anyway, I remember. I was. Um, I was. In Chicago, I, a friend of mine, one of my friends, buddies, partners, buddy, let me say buddy, uh, you know, best friend or whatever, or, or just friend. We were walking um, in a, around a shopping area. It was like a shopping facility, facility uh, that we were, we were just strolling along, walking and just talking and just, you know, you know, and it was pretty crowded. It was a people were shopping, running in the stores and out of stores, and we were just walking, cruising along. 
my best friend. Actually, he was my bandmate. I had a, I was in a band back then, or or he was uh, one of my bandmates like, because uh, I think around a few years later we started a band together. And um, I'm not going to say his name, but you know I was with a friend of mine and we was just walking, cruising along, a buddy or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, around us, people start smashing windows and. <laughs> breaking stuff and 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 breaking into um closed stores and just causing a lot of mayhem and it was it was a riot here in the city of Chicago back in 1968 at the uh at the uh, finding out that a Martin Luther King had been assassinated and uh it, it was just something it was going on all around us you know the both of us we was wondering what what the hell was going on and somebody shouted out of the blue that Martin Luther King had just been shot. And we looked at each other and said, wow, okay. (laughs) Uh, What's up now? And people were just running. It was a complete riot in the city of Chicago. And I was right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it. Didn't know what was going on because we were out and about, you know. And um, so uh being young and being stupid uh <laughs> we took part in it we took part in the riot uh everybody else was doing it and <laughs> we were, and we took part in it but we it, it, no one was hurt no it was not about violence no one was it was not black on black crime it was not fighting it was just looting you know destroying property and we didn't destroy property. We didn't do the the other people destroyed the property. We just went in there and grabbed the merchandise after they destroyed the property. They made room for us. So uh, it was it was it was interesting. Uh, I don't know. Somehow we found shopping bags and we started loading stuff into the shopping bags. We would go into the store and just load stuff into the shopping bag. We would come out of the store with. He would have my my friend would have two shopping bags and I would have two shopping bags. And suddenly the police would pull up. <laughs> they were crooked and corrupt. They would pull up. They pulled up alongside of us. They didn't arrest us. They didn't ask us our name. They just took our stuff and put it in the back of their car and they left. You know, <laughs> this is true, folks. This is very, very true. And uh, so uh, we got out of there with nothing. <laughs> so basically, we uh, got off the street some kind of way and I made it home. And uh, it was all over the news that a Martin Luther King had just been shot shot and they were showing pictures of him uh lying on the uh, uh lying on the pavement of the balcony of the hotel there and beside him beside Martin Luther King there was pictures of Andrew Young and Reverend Jesse Jackson the young Reverend Jesse Jackson and the young Andrew Holm I mean uh, the young Andrew Young if I'm pronouncing his name correctly they were very very young and Andrew Young right now I mean he's like wow 150 I'm just kidding anyway it 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 was a turning point I remember it vividly I mean we were out there uh among the crowd uh rioting but we weren't as serious as the guys and girls that was around around us. I mean, they were, uh, and and I want to put this, say this again, the police back in 1968 was just as corrupt as anything. I mean, <laughs> they, they were, you know, they weren't doing the rioting or just dis- destroying property, but they would take the merchandise that was 
from the rioters and, and, and put it in their cars, you know. So they were just as crooked. But anyway, uh, America is celebrating um, the legacy of Martin Luther King. And uh, it seems like we learned so much about Martin Luther King now that he's dead than when he was alive, you know. I've learned so much about it. I mean, because in 1968, uh, I was just a child, and um, my mother and father never told me anything about Martin Luther King. My grandmother uh, never said anything about Martin Luther King. I'm pretty sure they knew Martin Luther King, that he existed back then, but they never talked to me or any of uh, of uh, my siblings that, that I knew of. Um, so uh, learning about Martin Luther King, I had to learn on my own. Uh, just like so much other things I had to learn on my own and through my own experience and research because um, as a child, uh, my mother nor my father ever supplied any kind of information that was uh, pertinent to me being black. Uh, things I had to, uh, it was like, you know, uh, trial and error for me, you know, and I learned a lot of things on my own because of my own curiosity of things, you know. Uh, and this is a true story. I always wondered why why was I black and everybody else, most people around me uh, were, were white, uh, you know. And I'm saying, what the hell? There used to be an old saying in the a, in a black community that, that if you drink coffee, it'll turn you black. I, I kind of believed that when I was little. I was naive, I didn't know. And then there were there were talk. Uh, the reason why a lot of people black is because they they were out in the sun for a long time. I, I believed anything because I, I because I I I wanted to know. I mean, I used to go in the bathroom. I wrote about this. I used to go in the bathroom and try to wipe off. It wouldn't come off. I said, "Can I wipe?" I, I was really scrubbing. <laughs> I was a kid. Okay, uh, I was really really scrubbing. And it wouldn't come off, and I and I dare not ask my mother uh, about being black or why why was I black because she was not gonna have it. I probably would get I probably would have gotten knocked upside the head or thrown out of the house if I'd have done that. Uh, so I didn't say anything. I didn't ask my grandmother. Uh, I I didn't think to ask ask her. But anyway, um, those were some of my experiences. Uh, trying to figure out who I was because that's what that's one of the number one things that I wanted to that I needed to do and that I wanted to try to figure out who I was and why was I black and why did everybody hate me because I was black when I've done nothing to them I I don't didn't even know them and you know and I wanted to know answers to all of those questions but there was nobody there to tell me or wanted so you know Throughout my life, I I found out. I found out a lot of these things on my own. And um, as a child, I was very, very curious about this, that, and this, and that. Uh, everything. It, it's like I was born into a world and nobody told me why. Nobody told me why I was here. What was my purpose for being here? Where was I going? What what was my, what was life? What and what was it about? Who was I? All of those questions and more uh, uh, I was looking for when I was a child and, and a, 
teenagers, you know, all those questions I was looking for and nobody told me anything. And um, I used to like to, one of the things I used to do when I was a kid, I used to like to hang with older people. One of the reasons why I used to like to hang with older people, because I thought older people knew a lot of things that they could tell me and that I can learn from them. I figured people my age and younger didn't know a damn thing. So I hung out with older people so they, so I can hear their stories and they can tell me things that I want to know that I needed to know to find out who I was. I know that probably sounds uh, sounds crazy. I'm pretty sure some people, oh, you see, call it, you know. But it was true. I was trying to find out my identity. I didn't know. I, I was just plopped into a world that I knew nothing about. Suddenly, I was black. And people were hating me because of it. Uh, I didn't know anything about school. I didn't know anything about education. I didn't know anything. And nobody was willing to tell me. And uh, I was didn't want to ask people who didn't like me or didn't want me around or don't tell me a damn thing because maybe they didn't know themselves. But I always liked to, like to hang with pe- older people so I can, you know, because I always felt older people, as I've just mentioned, knew a lot more. They had a, not, a lot more experience than things than I did at that young age. And I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn. I was very, very curious, uh, especially about who I was. And I was very curious about my life, where, where I was going to go, what I was going to do. I, I knew that I wanted to make something of myself. I mean, from day one, I think I knew that from the from the day that I was born, that I wanted to make something of myself. I wanted to be somebody, but I always knew that there was people out there who were going to try and stop me for, from doing that, and I knew I couldn't let them do that. I just wanted, I was just so curious. I had friends, but some of my friends, they weren't smart enough or 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 knowledgeable enough to teach or show me anything. That's why I hung out with older people. <laughs> Sometimes old people, they were just crazy. But it was it was it was an experience for me. And eventually, I did learn, and I did um, I did learn through all the uh, uh, things that some people tried to put me through. Um, I always told myself, and you should tell yourself this too. Uh, don't let nobody stop you from living your dream. Don't let people tell you that you can't make it. Don't let people tell you, try to make you feel like you're worthless, you're useless. Uh, don't do that, especially when you know that you're not. And this is 50 years ago today, celebrations and remembering of Martin Luther King, the life and legacy. So that's one of my memories of 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 um, uh, uh, sometimes people will say, where were you when he was assassinated? I was right out there in the middle of the riots, a young man, a very, very, not a young, but a, but a, but a budding teenager. I'll say that <clears throat> right out there in the middle of it. Well, I just gave you my age. Okay. All right. You listen, you're listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to talk about Martin Luther King because everybody else is throughout the show once in a while in the show. So we want to thank you for listening, tuning in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Martin Luther King is gone now and uh, we don't have another there's no other need. There, excuse me, I'm, I can't. I can't even talk. There is no other leader that seems to be stepping up to the plate. A lot of people thought it would be Barack Obama, but somehow, knowing Barack Obama, I knew that this guy would never step up to to take the mantle. You know, I mean, 
but there's people not America. One of the things I discovered is that America, people, they need a leader. They want a leader. They want someone to tell them what's best for them. They want people to tell them what they should be doing in order to better themselves and to better the better uh, the world around them. They want leaders. We don't have any. We don't have a Martin Luther King. We have some of these jack-leg community leaders who are out for 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 the cameras and maybe to line their pockets, but no real true uh, leader. And America needs a leader. I think we do need a leader. We need somebody that's going to go out there and really, really speak for the people, really, really speak for the working class, the poor, um, the disabled. We need people out there to speak for. I mean, high-profile people. There's no doubt about it. There's people out here who are uh, speaking for people every day and standing up for people with less. But we need someone with very, very high-profile and a high-profile personality uh, uh, that's going to carry that message throughout the world. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you have a computer, you have a phone, and you can post, you can, and most of your posts are, uh, and when anytime you post something, it's it's out there, <laughs> no matter what it is. If you post it, it's there. Uh, but anyway, America needs a leader. I mean, we need a real, real leader. And there's nothing, there's no one that I know is out there. There's no Martin Luther King. You know, there's no Malcolm X. There's no Mega Evers. There's no and these these particular leaders, black leaders, they were not racist. I mean, they, there wasn't a racist bone in their body. It, they were all about justice over injustice. And um, but there's nothing out there today. There's no leader. There's nobody taking up the mantle. There's nothing. And that's, this is why I say the American people, we're, as American people, we're on our own when it comes to leadership. We're our own leaders. We have to do it ourselves. We cannot expect someone to come out of the mothballs and start fighting for us because that's not going to happen. I mean, you don't even have your elected officials that you vote in office on your side uh, representing you. I mean, because money talks in Congress today, as we all know, money talks. Anyway, uh, this this is this is this is something, and a lot of people are saying that Martin Luther King was an icon. Uh, and it, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to see students, uh, teachers, uh, community leaders, uh, everybody just remember uh, and talk about and reminisce about. Uh, meeting and talking and and walking and marching and protesting with um, Dr. Martin Luther King. It, it's a thrill. Celebrations all over the place. But you know, one person I haven't heard from who haven't who hasn't said anything as of this show, as of now. I don't know if he's going to say something later after the show is over. I have no idea. But I haven't heard anything or seen anything anywhere where. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. I hate to say president, but I sometimes you can't help but to say it. Donald Trump hasn't said anything whatsoever about uh, uh, 50 years ago 
uh, he has nothing to say about 50 years ago on the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. So far, he hasn't said anything, you know, and it's late in the day. So I don't know. Um, would you expect him to say anything? Would you expect him to mention Martin Luther King? Um, probably not. <laughs> probably, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's been stated that that he's a racist. He's a white supremacist. Uh, he doesn't care for people of color, no matter, you know, white people are uh, his favorite kind of people. And uh, it's been proven that this is what he is. Um, and that's sad. That's very, very sad. Uh, but it, it's Donald Trump and uh, Donald Trump doesn't care what you think or what I think. It's what he wants. And it's it's all about himself. It's not about you or me. And Donald, Trump, Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about anybody. Not one of us, you know, he cares about screwing us. Anyway, uh, we, this is not about Donald Trump. This is about Martin Luther King. And uh, and his legacy that he's left. And he's left a, a, a big one, you know. So uh, I haven't even heard Obama say anything. I'm not saying I'm not saying he did not address uh, April 4th, uh, the 50 years of 50 years ago today, the assassination of Martin Luther King, he may have. I haven't uh, heard it or seen it anywhere, but he may have. But, you know, this is really, really something. I appreciate everybody out there who who are celebrating, who are uh, being festive and positive that uh, the Martin Luther King dream is has not uh, materialized. Anything has gotten worse. It's gotten a lot worse. But anyway, um, I really feel privileged and I really feel good about, about uh, the things, the celebrations that are going around uh, the country on the uh, on Martin Luther King's uh, 50th anniversary of him uh, being assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Ladies and gentlemen, the George Wilder Jr. Show has now arrived.
All right, I want to tell everybody that Lisa Pruitt, uh, she will not be on the George Wilder shoulder, shoulder, uh, show tonight. That's a shoulder. Lisa Pruitt, author Lisa Pruitt, will not be on the show tonight. She just emailed me and said she had to be out of town or something. I'm looking at her email right now. Okay, it says right here, she says, George, I sent you two e- emails about rescheduling to a different day since we uh yeah she wants to reschedule we'll see that we'll talk about that but anyway she will not be on the show sorry about this folks if you are waiting for her uh lisa pruitt will not be on the george wilder jr show i i i probably will um uh, reschedule her but that happens it doesn't happen a lot you know but every now and then you book a guest for the for a show actually the guests will contact me to be on the show and I'll read through their synopsis or, or their information that they send, um, their websites, your books, or whatever they're going to be talking about. And I'll read through it, and I'll and if I like it, I'll approve it. Then I'll send them some information that they're on the show. I will book them for the show, and then when it's time for them to show up, you know, they're saying, "Well, I can't do it. I I have a a, a, a scheduled meeting. I, I've uh, this has come up, that has come up, or I've, I've been in a car accident or something." Uh, you know, and uh, sometimes I I can uh, forgive them, <laughs> forgive them from not showing up, and I'll reschedule them if it's, if there's a good excuse for not showing up. But you know, you don't want someone to be scheduling, booking people for the show, and then they blow you off. I just don't want any uh, author, uh, someone who I book for the show, to blow me off, especially after you contacted me about being on the show. I don't, you know. I put the word out there that I'm looking for guests, but then you then you contact me and say you want to be on the show, and then I, you know, I'll if I approve prove that you should be on the show, then I'll book you, um, and um, you know, and I expect for you to be on the show. Then the last minute, I know things happen, things happen, things don't always go right. I mean, things happen. People, uh, there has been guests that I have big booked for the show forgot to put the date on their calendar. That's what some of them tell me. Well, George, I forgot to write it down. Can you reschedule? You know, I mean, if it's an honest mistake, if it's, if it's, I mean, things happen, people get busy, things happen. And I understand that. And a lot of times I, I will reschedule a guest, you know, but I do, when I book someone, I expect them to uh, honor that, you know, but if you can't honor that, if you're just blowing the show off, then you, you, you will not never be on the show again. Or you will never be on the show, period. All right, Martin Luther King, at 50 years after his assassination. We're going to be talking more about that. Lisa Pruitt will not be on the show tonight. She just emailed me and said that she probably will be out of town and that I should probably uh, reschedule her. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. And this is, as I've said, Emma. MLK Day on the George Wilder Jr. Show. At the beginning, at the beginning of the show, we played the uh, "I Have a Dream" speech. <laughs> uh, I just love that speech. I think it's one of his greatest. And after that, I think uh, we played the 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 final speech that he done in Memphis uh, the night before he was killed. So we did that. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Martin Luther King in and out, you know, you know, things like that uh, and other things. 
All right, we're going to do this and we will be right back. Hang in there. you've noticed we no longer have old people in this country they're all gone now replaced by senior citizens 
Somehow we wound up with millions of these unfortunate creatures known as golden agers or mature adults. These are cold, lifeless, antiseptic terms, typically American, all ways of sidestepping the fear of aging. And it's not difficult to understand the fear of aging. It's natural and it's universal. No one wants to get old. No one wants to die. But we do. We die. And we don't like that. So we shade the truth. I started doing it when I reached my 40s. I'd look in the mirror at that time and think, well, I guess I'm getting older. That sounded a little better than old. Sounded like it might even last a bit longer. But people forget that older is comparative, and they use it as an absolute. She's an older woman. Oh, really? Older than what? Than she used to be? Well, yeah. So? People think getting old is bad because they think being old is bad. But you know something? Being old is just fine. In fact, it can be terrific. And anyway, it's one of those things you don't get to choose. It's not optional. But that insufferable group among us known as baby boomers, ages 42 through 59 as of 2005, are beginning to get old, and they're having trouble dealing with that. Remember, these baby boomers are the ones who gave us this soft, politically correct language in the first place. So rather than admit they're getting old, the baby boomers have come up with a new term to describe themselves as they approach the grave. They don't care for middle-aged, so instead, get this, folks, instead, they claim to be pre-elderly. Don't you love that? Pre-elderly. It's a real word. You don't hear it a lot, but it's out there. The boomers claim that if you're between 50 and 65, you're pre-elderly. But I'd be willing to bet that in 2011, when they begin turning 65, they will not be calling themselves elderly. I have a hunch they'll come up with some new way of avoiding reality. And I have a suggestion for them. They should call themselves the pre-dead. It's a perfect term because for them, it's accurate. And it's highly descriptive. By the way, those ever-clever boomers have also come up with a word to describe the jobs they feel are most suitable for retired people who wish to keep working. They call these jobs elder-friendly. Isn't that sad? God, that's just really, really sad. And so, to sum it up, we have these senior citizens. And whether I like that phrase or not, unfortunately, I got used to it. And I no longer react too violently when I hear it. But there is still one description for old people that I'll never accept. That's when I hear someone describe an old guy as being, for instance, 80 years young. Even though I know it's tongue-in-cheek, it makes my skin crawl. It's overly cute and precious, and it's an evasion. It's junk language. On CBS's 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, God help her, actually referred to some old man as being a 90-something. Please, Leslie, I need a small personal break here. One last pathetic example in this category. On the radio... I heard Matt Drudge actually refer to people of age. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He said the West Nile virus is a particular threat to people of age. Poor Matt. Apparently he's more fucked up than he seems.
Now, going to an adjacent subject, one unfortunate fact of life for many of these 80 or 90-somethings is that they're forced to live in places where they'd rather not be. Old people's homes. So what name should we use for these places where we hide our old people? When I was a little boy, there was a building in my neighborhood called the Home for the Aged. It had a copper sign on the gate. Home for the Aged. It always looked deserted. I never saw anyone go in. Naturally, I never saw anyone come out either. Later, I noticed people started calling those places nursing homes and rest homes. Apparently, it was decided that some of these old people needed nurses, while others just needed a little rest. What you hear them called now is retirement homes or long-term care facilities. There's another one of those truly bloodless terms, long-term care facilities. But actually, it makes sense to give it a name like that, because if you do, you make it a lot easier for the person you're putting in there to acquiesce and cooperate with you. I remember old people used to tell their families, Whatever you do, don't put me in a home. Please, don't put me in a home. But it's hard to imagine one of them saying, Whatever you do, don't put me in a long-term care facility. So calling it that is really a trick. Come on, Grandpa, it's not a home. It's a long-term care facility. By the way, while we're on this subject of the language of getting old, I want to tell you something that happened to me in New York on a recent evening. I was standing in line at the Carnegie Deli to pay my check, and there was a guy ahead of me who looked like he was in his 60s. He gave the cashier a $10 bill, but apparently it wasn't enough. When the cashier mentioned it to him in a nice way, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I guess I had a senior moment. And I thought how sad that was. To blame a simple mistake on the fact that you're in your 60s, even if you're just sort of joking. As if anyone would think a 20-year-old couldn't make the same mistake. I only mention this because it's an example of how people can brainwash themselves by adopting popular language. I wanted to pull them aside and say, listen, I just heard you refer to yourself as a senior, and I wanted to ask, were you by any chance a junior last year? Because if you weren't a junior last year, then you're not a senior this year. I wanted to say it, but I figured, why would he listen to me? After all, I'm still a freshman. My son has been um, arrested for walking while black. Um... So well, I get a, a, it. A lot of sons have been. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it doesn't make me, you know, you can't buy your way out of this one. You can't educate your way out of it. Um, it's just it's, happening too much, or at least we know about it now. It's, it's always happened. Um, we see more evidence of it. And too often people still are inclined to say, well, if he'd had a different attitude, well, if he hadn't been driving, well, if he hadn't been this, if he hadn't been that, almost as if the victim is partially to blame. You know, in the case of Garner, well, he shouldn't have resisted. In the case of Brown, well, where was he? In the case of Trayvon, well, he had a hood on, you know. And in, in, in the case of whoever, you know, in case of uh, Sandra Bland, you know, well, her attitude was better. It's like, no, stop. Stop. This has nothing to do with the victims. This has everything to do with the culture of demeaning a person of color. And, and there is no justification for society where my son has a far greater chance of being stopped, held, killed, 
than your son simply because he's black. Facebook believes data uh, up to 87 million users were improperly shared. 87 million Facebook accounts were or was improperly shared. Most of the accounts affected by the scandal were in the U.S., Facebook said. I understand that Mark Zuckerman, Zuckerman, the founder of Facebook, the head honcho, CEO, is going to be on the hot seat um, on Capitol Hill talking about this. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, I'm leaving Facebook. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm packing up. I'm gone. Why leave Facebook? Why quit? But a lot of people are. I mean, the stocks are, I mean, the stocks, investors are losing money. Uh, people are leaving Facebook in droves. So, but my thing is, why leave Facebook if your, your information is already out there? Whoever's got it, they got it. You know, they're, they, it's in their hands. So you're not really doing anything by, by cutting and running because your information is still out there. You've still been compromised. It's there. And, um, you know, I just think, uh, I think each and every one of us should probably, each and every individual out there who has a Facebook account and 
if you discover and if your information has been compromised, it, it should be a way to sue Facebook, sue Mark Zuckerman, because his company asked us for all of this information, uh, our private and personal information, we give it to them. They do not safeguard it. Now it's in the hands of scammers. It's in the hands of criminals. I mean, something should be done about that instead of just deleting your account. Because deleting your account does nothing. It just means you don't have a, you're not on Facebook anymore. But that doesn't stop your your information from being in the wrong hands. That doesn't stop you from being a victim of a scam because Facebook failed to guard your your and my information. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm still there, you know, because I say, hey, why, why would I delete my account when my information is already out there? A million people, you know, they have it already, you know, um, uh, deleting my account would just be um, doing nothing almost, you know. But I'm not saying if you want to quit Facebook, if you want to uh, uh, jump off a sinking ship, go right ahead. That's up to you. But from my standpoint, you know, uh, and a lot of people who I've talked to on Facebook said some of them say the same thing. They're saying that, and some people are not going <laughs> to, and some people are just diehard Facebook users. They're not going anywhere. They don't give a damn. Well, my information is out there, so what? I'm like, I, I, you, you, and you also have people who say, well, I'm on Facebook to uh, communicate with family and friends and all of that kind of stuff. Then you have people on Facebook, well, I've, I've written a book and I'm trying to uh, uh, <laughs> advertise my book. You know, A lot of people have a lot of excuses for not getting off. And then there are some people who are like me saying, well, George, yeah, my information is out there. Why not? Why would I jump off of it? I mean, you know, it might, it, it's out there. But still in all, I do think Facebook should be held accountable uh, for data breaches. Just like some of these stores like Target and uh, uh, some of these high-end stores like Lord and & Taylor's and Saks and all of these who have data breaches also. Uh, you go swipe your card. You think your information is safe with these people and it's not. Who? Somebody should be sued and held accountable for, for letting your information that you trusted them with uh, uh, be hacked. Somebody should be sued. It should be lawsuits because uh, they are totally, totally um, uh, liable for this. Facebook, the founder, Mike Zuckerman, is totally liable for um, this Facebook breaches. I mean, it, it, I mean he's going to be on Capitol Hill. He's going to be questioned um, because a lot of the people on Capitol Hill that are going to be questioning him, they're, they have Facebook accounts. They're investors. They're stockholders, you know. And, um, yeah, a lot of people are jumping off the bandwagon of Facebook. Then there's people who are just staying there, which I think those people who are just staying there uh, because they enjoy being on Facebook. you got people who live on Facebook. I mean, day, night, evening, <laughs> they, they may not post. Anything they may not say anything they may not click like but they're there they're watching everything you do ordinary people some
Yeah, Facebook believes data up to uh, 87 million users has been improperly shared. That means that 87, first it was 50 million uh, people who were, uh, data was uh, improperly used. Now it's 87 million people on Facebook who private information out there is in the wrong hands. And no matter what uh, Mark Zuckerman say on Capitol Hill, that's not going to get your information back. You know, uh, uh, I don't know what the hell he's he's doing, but he and his company right now, what Facebook is doing, anytime you post something, they're going to uh, uh, make sure that it's not defamatory or it's uh, uh, keeping in policy with what Facebook uh, wants. So every time you post something, there's always a, a second or two before it actually posts because Facebook is checking it out. And I do know this, that Facebook will throw you off. Facebook will throw you off in a minute. Some people, some posters call it Facebook jail. Yeah, Facebook will put you in jail. I mean, they will uh, knock you off their site for about a week, almost a week if you're posting in any kind of inappropriate content or they may feel that you're scamming. Yeah, Facebook has cracked down. Even I noticed it. They have cracked down on what you can post. Some things they, if you post something they don't like for you to post, they will delete it, you know. And if you keep posting it, they will give you a few days in jail, Facebook jail, as some people call it, where you won't be able to uh, post in any groups or or reply to anybody. Uh, only on uh, sites, only on pages that you manage. I'm pretty sure if you're on Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, it's it's out there, and and that's a shame. Okay, Facebook admitted on Wednesday that the data from up to 87 million users may have been improperly shared with political research firm Cambridge Analytical. I mean, we were talking about this maybe a week and a half ago. And Cambridge Analytical, this firm, is tied or was tied with the Trump team, the Trump administration. And some of these guys, there was some video out there um, not too long ago. And the, the employees for Cambridge Analytical were, uh, were congratulating themselves on steering votes to Donald Trump. An estimated, uh, an earlier estimated made by the media outlets, including New York Times, the New York Times placed a number of affected accounts around 50 million. Yeah, early it was 50 million, but now it's gone up <laughs> to 87 million people who have been compromised. By. So, yeah, I think um, Zuckerman is uh, is in trouble here. Facebook just may, um, you know. Uh, cease to be no more, you know, and, and that's good because if you can't safeguard someone's information, you don't need to be in existence. Facebook could wind up, end up being no more because people are jumping ship. I mean, people are deleting their accounts. Uh, stockholders are running. Um, uh, I'm hearing that 
I believe that the Facebook lost $16 billion because of this. Mm, this. All right, Cambridge Analytical denied Facebook estimate in its own statement released uh, later on Wednesday, saying that it had only licensed data for no more than 30 million people. It had licensed data? Give me a break. Nobody sent me anything telling me that my information had been licensed without my permission. <laughs> the company also said that it had hired an independent third-party audit to prove that it no longer had any data in their system. People lie. Here's a quote. When, when Facebook contacted us to let us know that the data had been improperly obtained, we immediately deleted the raw data the raw data from our file server and began to process the process of searching for and removing any of its uh, contents in our system. Now, how do we know that's true? We're just supposed to take their word for it? Give me a break. In this day and age of Donald Trump, everybody lies about something. It doesn't matter who they are, where they are, how big they are, how rich they are, how poor they are. You have to, what company they are, uh, CEO, I mean, corporations, people lie like dogs. And you just can't believe too much of what you hear. But there, but that, that happens a lot. People believe a lot of the things they hear coming out of other folks' mouth. If someone looks like they, you know, uh, uh, looks educated, you know, uh, obviously, uh, someone somewhere is going to believe everything that person says. And you should not be believe everything you read, especially on Facebook. A lot of that stuff is actually fake news. Fake news, you know. And a lot of it's, and a lot of people don't realize that they're reading fake news. Even after they've been educated on fake news, they're still reading and sharing fake, fake news. It's out there. I mean, you're going to see a lot of fake news up running up to the midterm elections, especially coming from the Republican side of the aisle. And then some people are savvy. I mean, when someone posts something, when someone posts something, someone replies automatically, this is fake news. Fake news. Even some of the reputable news sites put up fake news thinking that it's actually authentic news. So we just have to watch that. We have to be uh, on top of it because fake news is flourishing. It is flourishing throughout the United States. And there probably will be some kind of tampering or meddling into the 20, uh, 2018 midterm election. So we have to be aware of those things. I want to mention one more time that um, my guest today was Lisa Pruitt. Uh, she emailed me um, twice to tell me that she... Uh, wasn't going to be on the show, show. I think she said she was going to be out of town and she wanted me to reschedule her. So if you folks out there, you're listening and um, and uh, you thought that she was going to be on the show. This happens. People, people, as I mentioned earlier in the show, people, uh, you know, things happen, you know. And uh, I'm going to see if I'm going to try and reschedule her. Um, but I can't. A lot of times guests want me to reschedule them. When they, uh, for their convenience, but I can't 
schedule people for their convenience. I have to schedule them for when the show is going to be on the air. Either they can be on when I schedule them for that particular time, or they can't. This show is not about trying to uh, work around the guest. The, the guest has to work around with the show. Uh, I'm not out here to try to impress you. And you're not, I, I'm not looking for uh, you to impress me either. I just, you know, either you can be on the show or you can't. But this show is, uh, anybody can come on this show if you have something to offer, something to say, something that's going to uh, help make the world a better place. If you have a book or, or whatever you want to talk about, motivational, political, um, ire that you want to share, uh, this is the show for you. This is the, the uh, platform that you can, uh, at least one of the platforms that you can um, check out. All right, this is the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. It's 719 straight up in the city of Chicago. It has been a cold April 4th. <laughs> 2018. All right. Uh, this has been a cold. I mean, I stepped outside this morning and there was ice on the ground. Wow. And everybody's saying, wow, this is, this is not April. And it is April 4th. I'm going to say it April 4th, even though I know when you podcast the show, it will be sometime in the future. It's way beyond that, but it, it's all about Martin Luther King. I mean, 50 years ago, he was assassinated. I think he was shot in the head, shot in the throat or something. I, I'm not sure. But uh, people are recalling where they were when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I can recall where I was. And, um, and uh, always be embedded in, inside of me uh, uh, the day that I found out that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. And we're going to be talking about his life, his legacy for a long time. Um, while uh, there's a national uh, tribute to Martin Luther King um, in Memphis and, and also in Chicago at Rainbow Push, Reverend Jesse Jackson, they're doing something. I mean, it's all over television. And Father Flager, he's giving King speeches at St. Sabina Church. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's a welcoming tribute to Martin Luther King. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the persons that I have yet to hear from is Donald Trump to say anything on this. Um, and if he doesn't, you know, so far, uh, so far at the uh, start of this show, I've, I've heard nothing. I can't say what he might say or what he will not say after the show is over for this day. But so far, there's been nothing coming out of the White House commemorating uh, 50 years uh, after Martin Luther King was assassinated on the hotel balcony, hotel balcony of the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Make sure you join me tomorrow. Folks, it's 721 straight up p.m. in Chicago. And <laughs> we got about mm, seven more minutes left into the show. And I want to say a little bit more about Facebook. Um, 
it's a shame that 87 million people, mostly in the United States, may have been improperly may have improperly shared with Cambridge Analytical, and not just Cambridge Analytical, the firm. There are some. There are, are information uh, on Facebook users are everywhere. It's all over the place. You know, and who's who's to say that Mark Zuckerman did not sell uh, our information on Facebook? Because people buy uh, information like that. They pay big money for information like that. I would hope that's not true. That hasn't been brought up, but, you know, there's always a possibility of something like that, the selling of information. You know, I mean, Facebook is a conglomerate. I mean, it's it's a zillion-dollar industry, and it's not, it's not a zillion-dollar indi- industry just because people are posting and replying to posts um, that have been posted you know, the money's coming from somewhere. Maybe he and his followers, the people who work for him, are maybe they've sold our information. This is how they got, you know, as rich as they are. Who knows? But this that's just speculation. It hasn't been proven, but it should not be out of the rim. You know, people selling your information. Because I know every time I shop on Amazon, no matter what I shop for on Amazon, after I shop on Amazon and start clicking, I click off Amazon and go to another website or another another website. I'm always seeing, no matter where I go <laughs> on Amazon on, on on the computer, I'm always seeing where uh, the merchandise that I just purchased off Amazon on every damn site uh, that I click on. I'm pretty sure that happened to a lot of people. I don't think that's right. I mean, if, if I if I buy a camera off Amazon or phone, you know, uh, I don't want to see it when I'm on MSNBC or, or some other site or Yahoo, or, or if I go to some other website and, and I see what I've done on, on Amazon, that's scary. That's very scary. So, 87, Facebook believes 87 million people have been, uh, uh, their information have been shared without our knowledge. That's a lawsuit. That is a lawsuit. Every, every one of those 87 million people who have been, if they can prove that they've been compromised uh, from Facebook, they should sue. Simple as that. Because nobody's supposed to be sharing your information without your consent. And I'm pretty sure he's sorry as hell, but sorry, do not get it because the damage has been done. It has been done. And I would love to hear what he's going to say on Capitol Hill, but I don't think it's going to amount to anything because as I just got through saying the damage has been done and you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. show on Block Talk Radio. Happy I, I don't want to say happy Martin Luther King Day because this is this marks the day fifty years ago that he was assassinated. I just want to thank everybody around the globe who uh celebrating Martin Luther King's time on earth. That's what it's about. 
celebrating his time on the earth and not forgetting that he actually exists and he was a man of peace. Another 30 minutes. 